This is Comics Therapy, episode 72. No reviews, just analysis. I'm Aaron Myers, and my co-host, as always, is Andrea Shockling. Up this week, three comics from January 28th, 2015. High Crimes, number 9, Danger Club, number 6, and Uncanny Avengers, number 1. In between segments, listen to another second opinion. And just as a reminder, we never do reviews, but we do talk a lot, so there may be spoilers ahead. Hello Comics Therapy, this is Cleon from Australia and I'm sending in my second opinion. I can't exactly remember what age I was when I started reading comics. I think they were kind of always around as far back as I can remember. And I didn't necessarily read them, I just sort of, you know, flicked through them and enjoyed the pictures quite immensely. Now these were a mix of like Phantom, Archie and Asterix comics I think. And I think later on once I got into superheroes they're like action figures and stuff, I started to flick through you know, Spider-Man and Batman. But again, not, not sort of consciously reading them exactly. Welcome to Comics Therapy. Neither Aaron nor I are licensed therapists, so don't take anything we say seriously. This week's theme was going to be the very pithy Everything Old is New Again, which was both a not very subtle call-out to how lax we've been with our recording schedule, but also an acknowledgement that all three titles we're discussing this week have been a long time coming. But you know how this works, right? I mean, do you? I go through previews the week before and pick books out. Aaron pretends to disagree but secretly acknowledges I'm actually good at this. We read the comics and then we talk about them. But this week, after I read all three, I was feeling really depressed, like more so than usual. Sure, we've been waiting for Danger Club for a while, and High Crimes is always worth the wait. And even what's going on over there in the X-Men slash Avengers Unity team has been building for quite some time. But did you notice how heavy they all were? Maybe it's not that everything old is new again. Maybe it's that everything dies. God, what does that even say about us? I don't think us is um, part of the equation since you just said you picked everything. Oh, so it's just me? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I would have picked like, um, you know, I don't know, the My Little Pony comic and maybe like Teens Mutant Ninja Turtles and... Um, you like fun things another? that are fun. Garfield. Garfield. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's on you. Cool. You want to take credit for it. You got to deal with the consequences. <laughs> that's how it works around here. I do remember when I actively became an avid comics reader. And that was back when I was in year seven. So around 13 years old. And this was a Japanese manga actually called One Piece. It wasn't only the first comic I fell in love with. But it was also the first kind of piece of fiction I started to think about in regards to, you know, story arcs and character development and themes and all of that jazz. It's still my favorite comic, and it's still running now, 772 chapters going strong. It's a beautiful story about, you know, heartfelt themes such as seeking adventure, obtaining dreams, and friendship. It also covers other mature themes such as the concept of freedom, socio-political Darwinism, and government. And I mean, it also has a main character who stretches because he's rubber, so it's just awesome. Each episode, in between comic segments, you'll hear one listener answering a series of questions, sharing his or her favorite comics, creators, and more. We call it a second opinion. 
This week's listener comes to us all the way from Australia. If you'd like to play along at home, you can leave your own response for us to use on a future show. The prompts are on the website, comicstherapy.com, and you can call, Skype, or email your MP3. Remember to read comics responsibly, kids, and always get a second opinion. I get my comics from Classic Comics in Burke Street, Melbourne City. I read all my manga, however, digitally, mostly through the Weekly Shonen Jump app that's available online and most devices. And like any mortal comic fan, I succumb to those ridiculous comicsology sales. I mean, come on. In between shows, you can find me on Twitter at Andrea Shock and Aaron at Aaron Myers. The show account is at Comics Therapy. Aaron, since we're all going to die, or at least just me, maybe I should start out by absolving myself from my recent sins. Because you said the other day that I've been, uh, how did you put it, AWOL for a couple of months because of uh-huh. work stuff and home stuff. And the result is that I'm behind on everything, especially comics. So even though it's a month late, I, I owe you a special comics therapy resolution to do better from here on out. Hmm. I'd hate to die not having been caught up on Thor. So while I'm getting unburied, we'll be slowly going back to our regularly scheduled programming with the couch, etc. But in the meantime, hi, welcome back to me, to you, to our listeners, to comics. How have you been? I've been here since the beginning, and I never left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's on you. Good week? Yeah, okay week, fine. Yeah? Good, good comics week, sure. Yeah? There's been a lot going on in the last, you know, seven days or so. True. Luke mm-hmm. had his first con. Yes, he did. You had your first outside-of-the-box con. Yeah, I guess so. I consider it to be literal training wheels for Emerald City. Yes, as I will be having to deal with children, is what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, exactly. That's where I was mm-hmm. going with that one. Right. Children who have access to alcohol. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Right. It's, sounds great. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm really proud of him. Did really well. We are there for much longer than I thought he would last. And, you know, no, no catastrophes or tantrums. He had fun. What is the single most important thing that you would say to a parent taking a four or five-year-old to a comic-con for the first time say let them see the stuff that they want to see take frequent breaks where you can rehydrate and fill them with food because that's the hardest thing at a convention you'll be walking around for six hours and not notice that you didn't stop or you know drink anything or eat anything and that doesn't really work for a four-year-old And just try, don't really have your own agenda because it's not fun for them to stop and like look through comic books. Like not, not at that age, maybe in a couple years, maybe. I'll tell you a secret that much of what you just said still applies when I take Avi. Yeah. I I don't, I doubt it would really change unless you have a child who is very into collecting, you know, at a certain point, maybe that kicks on. Um. But, yeah, in Luke's case, he wanted to see people dressed up and look at, like, toys that are for sale. Right. You know, talking to creators is not particularly interesting. I think that Avi's getting more and more interested in that if it's a book that he feels really strongly about. And he is amassing a mental collection of comics that he really, really loves. And so I think Mm -hmm. looking ahead to... Uh, what is it? Like the the con in San Jose that I have been taking him to the past couple of mm-hmm. years is in May. So he'll be almost 10 at that point. And I think that that will be a pretty significant change from like the first one that he went to. Yeah. 
That makes sense. So you got to be able to start to distinguish that or understand that a book is created by someone and that you know maybe it's kind of interesting to meet the person who made the book that you enjoy so he had a ton of fun doing all the stuff that he wanted to do and we left by the time i started to think he was burning out and trying not to push it past that and then he slept in the car on the way home no he was too amped up But that's okay. <laughs> not like not like catastrophe, like screaming, wailing, or anything like that. Just you know, excited. So that's great. That's good. I think it started to get a little overwhelming, like just all the stuff going on, all the people, like especially if you're shorter than everyone. Oh, that explains how I feel at cons. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I think there's maybe more stuff going on with that, but yeah. I do find that it's um, easier to navigate the crowd if you can be a little bit shorter and just like zoom around. Yeah, maybe. Um, It's definitely difficult to navigate the crowd when you're having to hold the hand of, you know, a four-year-old. Right, right. Because, like, that was my fear of just, like, getting disconnected from him for a second and then just not being able to find him or something. Was there a crowd like that? It was pretty busy. And I didn't go back on Sunday. And I heard from people it was less busy on Sunday. Mm -hmm. But um, Saturday was really, yeah, there was a lot of people there. Oh, that's cool. No, it's good. I mean, I think... You know, people have, say, mixed things about Wizards World conventions, and I think it's maybe depends on the region, but it is different than the other Portland shows, and I think it brings a lot of people to the convention center and to comic stuff that just aren't, you know, they're fans of comic book stuff in a new way, and not necessarily the people that read comics. Got it. But, you know, they want, they want, they like sci-fi shows or, you know, Marvel movies, and if you bring celebrities in that are kind of attached to that, it gets them in the door, and then hopefully they kind of find themselves in Artist Alley for whatever reason and pick up some books from people. Excellent. So I think it's a good that's a good primer show for people that aren't huge comics fans. And four-year-olds. And four-year-olds, yeah. It's actually a good show for for kids. <laughs> like, I wouldn't, bring, I wouldn't bring him to, you know, like a line work or, you know, what used to be Stumptown. True. Like, you know, those are very comic centric there's not stuff for kids going on there that's boring for a child to be there so what's next um, on the agenda for you oh we, we just bought marvel universe live tickets oh my god are you kidding i saw that you posted that did you actually buy them ahead of time uh-huh. isn't the yeah. show like a next year, year? a year uh-huh over a year away wow did you get four tickets or three tickets no just one ticket oh just you by yourself that's yeah. not gonna be creepy yeah. at all <laughs> Um, yeah, we bought four tickets. That's it's kind of amazing to think about Logan being old enough to do that a year from now. Right, he'll be you know basically three. Right. So hopefully we'll see. <laughs> like he's a different kid than than Luke is. I don't think it, yeah that happens. Three, it would have been yeah cool. Like it wouldn't work to bring Luke, but with an older brother to kind of ground him some, I think I think it'll work. What is Marvel Universe Live? I guess it's sort of, you know, it's sort of like a Marvel on Ice kind of thing. It's like a stage show production wow. of like an Avengers story. Wow. I do not think they're singing, though. Well, there's the problem right there. Otherwise, I'll have to get a refund. <laughs> I don't know. It just the kind of thing, like, it looks crazy and big, and it'd be like a big family trip to do. That's hilarious. So it'll, and it's not cheap. <laughs> It's like 220 bucks for four tickets. That's, what? Oh my God. 
Yeah, really expensive. <laughs> and we, it's not like we had the money for it or anything, but... <laughs> Oh, Did well. you dip into your comics fund to be able to go to the Marvel mm. Universe live event? That one on the credit card. That's figure out a way to pay. Crazy. Well, it's it's a year away. We got to figure. We got we got some time to figure out how to pay. Man, for it. I hope it's awesome. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it look it looks awesome. <laughs> That's another thing. It's like no way I would ever. I mean, obviously, it's not for adults, but. That's not anything I would have any interest in myself, but I'm super interested and excited to go because we have kids right. and you hope that they'll be excited to be there. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're super disappointed when they're No, not. don't and... think like that. It's going to be great. <laughs> we'll see. Anything else fun? So, I was thinking about doing a weekly like comic speculator corner. Oh, oh were you? On, on what, uh, what forum? <laughs> on this oh. forum. On my podcast. Yeah. On my podcast that I can own 51% nope, of. I don't care. I don't think so. I let you talk a lot about that. I pretend to be interested quite frequently, but no, you're not going to have a fucking corner. But people ask me. People every, who? Every week. Who people? Like our dedicated fans, our core group. Mm, like the no. the people who really like this show come for me. Mm. Our Fairweather fans come for you. It's because I'm adorable. Yeah, well, but people could take a leave you. That's what I'm saying. You're so People want good to know for from me. They want steam, Aaron Myers. <laughs> they want hot tips. I'm, d- I'm just gonna say it real quick. We could have been done by now. Go ahead. It's like talking. It's like talking to Luke. Wow. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Incredible Hulk 324. Why? First Gray Hulk. Second Gray. Why Hulk, does that matter? First, like, because um, and this is a spoiler segment. In case you don't want any spoilers about upcoming. Movies, I don't. I don't want any spoilers. Wait. If you get a corner. And spoil it for me, how do I win? You won't care. What? You won't care about this at all. Trust me. Listen listen, and see how much you don't care. Because there were two, like, frames of the Age of Ultron trailer where Hulk looks gray instead of green. Okay. And there were some, like, toy announcement leakage that were gray Hulk figures. Okay. So people are going nuts over that, and it's an easy book to find for a dollar. Okay. Or two. And then Avengers 144. Oh, you posted that today. What was the story? That's the first appearance of Patsy Walker as Hellcat. I don't even know who that is. Well, you should. I thought you liked comics. Just tell me. You don't know who Hellcat is? I thought you were an Avengers fan. Just tell me. That's crazy. The new Jessica Jones TV show? Yeah. So they just cast Patsy Walker. Oh, her friend. in In the Hellcat role. Yes. Oh. See, I just need context. Well, there you go. I'm bad with names. I'm good with faces. Shut the fuck up. Mm. Since I only got two, otherwise I'd say alias number 24 as well. Because that's the first reappearance of Purple Man. Got it. Another David Tennant being cast as that. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of talking about that. About that choice. I don't know. It's kind of neat. Mostly about the character. I think, I think that a lot of people look at the way that characters were written... And the changes that maybe you would hope that a character would go through when being translated to a different medium. And they get caught up in what may or may not change. That's all. Sure. I've done it too. I mean, there's endless speculation on the internet Mm -hmm. and the facts or... Lack thereof. Anything else? (laughs) Yeah. It's just like the Fantastic Four trailer that came out this year. I didn't watch that one either. You don't need to. It's either you're going to go see it or you're not. Yeah, but I usually see trailers. Do you? But you just said you don't want spoilers. Man, I, 
Do you want me to try to explain this, or are you just going to make fun of me? No, you can try. That's fine. I really enjoy previews. I love the trailer part of going to see movies. That's why going back to the movie theater more regularly has been, like, extra joyful for me, because I enjoy that part of the process. Mm -hmm. But I don't necessarily want to then have it dissected. And so two frames of a gray hulk and the explanation thereof is more of a spoiler for me than just seeing a minute and a half long flash by so fast that I didn't even notice it kind of trailer. Yeah, okay. That's fine. That's all. All right. Good. Well, tell me about your weeks. I worked. Mm -hmm. I'm getting a haircut today. I'm pretty excited about that. Wow. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's all I've been doing, is working. I actually made notes for today. Did you? Yeah, so I could remember things. Otherwise, I'm always like, um, I, I don't know, I worked and I read comics. But you, you actually did stuff this week. True. I think I do things every week. I just don't remember doing <laughs> them. Whereas I can tell you definitively that I didn't do shit this week. Okay. I worked... And I read comics on Wednesday because I magically had Wednesday off. So that was great. But then I also took three naps that day. Trying to make up for the deficit from the previous however many days. I go to work. I take Avi to hockey practice. I go home. I watched uh, Agent Carter. I'm really digging that show. It's not perfect. There are some issues with parts of it sure but i'm enjoying it that is like a little hour of my week that i can point to and say i did that i accomplished that and it was fun Hmm. good yay i approve of most of your (laughs) hey i'm trying i've made some changes to like kind of get back on track and hopefully that will be soon well we'll see how it goes (laughs) you want to talk about comics now yeah let's try to do that (laughs) I predominantly read Marvel and Image, so I thought I'll mention my favourites of both of those two. My favourite superhero comic is Daredevil, and that's written by Mark Wade, pencils and inks by Chris Simony, colours by Matt Wilson, and letters by Joe Caramagna. And the reason why I mention all of them is because Daredevil is such an example of a comic where everything delicately lines up to make something special. And there are many comics where you'd go, oh, that was really good, or that's a great comic, but there might be that one thing, whether it's like a character, or a plot point, or a certain element of the art, that might not exactly work for you. In Daredevil, everything is on point. It's all such high-quality work, and whilst I'm sad that this run by this creative team is coming to an end, I'm glad that I'll always have this run to go back to whenever I want to, you know, just be happy about superheroes. Our first book this week is High Crimes Number 9, written by Christopher Sabella, with art by Ibrahim Mustafa. Color assists are by Leslie Atlansky. High Crimes is published digitally by Monkey Brain Comics. A deluxe hardcover of the entire series will be released this summer by Dark Horse. Okay. High Crimes Number 9, dude. <laughs> okay. So you, so you didn't do summaries. I didn't do summaries. Of course I didn't do summaries. That was not one of the things I listed about my week. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know we're getting that granular. You're really doing nothing if if that gets it gets down to that. I think I would have a difficult time summarizing this book right now, and and I say that because I had a conversation about it recently with somebody who hasn't started reading it yet, and he said I thought it was about mountain climbing, and I said, oh, (laughs) you're adorable. It's not about mountain climbing at all. Yeah. 
I mean, that's the conceit for it. Sure. You know, that's the, the framing. It's a of, fabulous of visual metaphor. I mean, I was actually thinking about like how do you how do you describe the this issue and and the last issue and probably the next you know three issues that to come. Mm-hmm. It's more like it is a book about choosing whether to live or it die. It really is. It's it is such a powerful uh, like first person narration about addiction and the struggles of addiction and the choice that you have to make to succumb or not. And yet that gets a little bit lost, I think, when people talk about it because of the the kind of action-y, bigger picture, like bad guys sure. after Xan stuff, right. right? Right, but it's all it's all metaphorical of finding personal identity outside of the substances you've chosen to take and the career paths that may or may not have failed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's when you strip a person down to the core and strip away strip away the wrappings that we've we've built up over the years, what's left. Gosh, is it any wonder that this book is really fucking resonating with me right now? <laughs> <laughs> but I think everyone can relate to it. It's just a matter of what like part of your life you're in. It's either it's either really heavy or it's sort of something you can look at objectively. Right. If you're in the midst of it, it's hard like I really don't know what choices Zan will make. There is no guarantee of a happy ending in life, and therefore there is no guarantee of a happy ending in this story. And that is one of the things that we've talked about a lot with comics before, that the that the stakes are very surfacey, especially in like larger established universes where people die and come back all the time and characters are never really lost to us. There's an element about their story that can be retold or repackaged or whatever. And that's for as fantastical as some of what is happening here with the like secret agent aspect. It is very much rooted in like a human struggle to exist and survive. And that means that at any point, everything can fall apart. Well, and the agents themselves are struggling with the same sort of, uh, you know, dilemmas. To live or die, or to live or die, identity outside of the the agency. Mm-hmm. You know, what you've been trained to, like, if you are have been trained to be a weapon, and that's all all you know is how to be a weapon. How do you be a human? Yeah, but I feel like that's a story that is told. More frequently, especially in comics. I I, I can think of a number of books that have touched on that. I think that the, like, personal (laughs) narrative that Zan is, like, recounting for us as she's unpacking the lies that she has told herself for years Mm -hmm. is something that is so much more personal and so much more raw and is is not a story that is, like, frequently examined. No, I agree. It... There are, there are not many action kind of stories that get this much into the person. Right. I think that's what it is. I think that it's that balance between like the crazy shit that's happening and the fact that they're like literally trying to survive being on a mountain. And yeah, sure, there's your mountain climbing story. But it's the like inner dialogue part. Well, especially since Everest is such 
in itself it has been this metaphor for life and mm-hmm. death, for con- conquering the unconquerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, the the framing of being up on the mountain where even somebody who is in top physical condition can die for, you know, for no reason. And, and like, how do you reach inward for that last push when you are already exhausted? Like, like there's already nothing left, but you have to find more. Mm-hmm. That yeah. it's just that feeling of, of everything is insurmountable like like the physical taxing of the climbing of the mountain and then like the internal turmoil as well and uh, man it's just so it's such a downer but in such a beautiful way I uh, man I I'm having I'm having trouble with it because I'm not objective like I this issue especially do you remember how the what was it the fifth issue of the massive like really got to me like i spent a year thinking about it Hmm. i have a feeling that that's what this issue is going to be like for me because in both cases it was a character recognizing that the only way to move forward was to let go yeah and that's that's just a this is a very difficult thing to reconcile like to accept utter loss as the only way to rebuild Mm -hmm. because it was already gone anyway right but but admitting that to yourself is really hard Aaron. it's really hard yeah so but that's where it comes that's in terms of you know this issue that's where the character you know a a person's character the test of your metal so to speak you know comes through yeah well, on that light note, do you want to talk about our second book? Yeah, it's just as uh, light and no big dealy. Okay, great. My favorite image comic was a much tougher one to figure out. I mean, they're all so different and they're all so great in their own ways. And I think it's something where if you think about it on another day, you'd pick a different title. I mean, a week or so ago, I'd say Southern Bastards is definitely my favorite image title. But yeah, my favorite independent comic actually overall right now is Lazarus. And that's written by Greg Rucker with art by Michael Lark. It's strange too because I wasn't immediately enamored by Lazarus. I still remember reading that first issue at a park going, that was was okay. And then like a week later I picked it up over a cup of tea and I was just like, man, this is this is really something special. And I think the reason why is because not everything one should love about this comic is necessarily overt upon first glance. It's just so carefully layered, and I think it would definitely do better to be read by trade. Although, it'd take a heavy incentive to make me trade wait for this book. I mean, it's just, it's too good to wait for. Our second book this week is Danger Club number six, written by Landry Q. Walker and drawn by Eric Jones. Colors are by Michael Rusty Drake, and letters are by Richard Starkings and Comic Crafts' Jimmy Betancourt. Danger Club is published by Image Comics. So I didn't do a recap for High Crimes, but I think it is actually important that I read what's going on in Danger Club, because quite frankly, and again, this goes back to like the original, original theme, it's been a while. And this is a great story, so if you haven't been reading it, 
or even if you have and you need a bit to jog your memory, here's what's up. They came to us thousands of years ago. Gods, aliens, refugees of a fallen civilization. For centuries they ruled, intermingling with humanity, creating generation after generation of demons, fairies, and demigods. The first generation of heroes and villains. And then one day something happened. Something terrible followed our rulers from their lost home world. The gods fell, defending the earth, their empire crumbled, and the only remote spark of their seed survived within our species. And they never told us what it was that they had been running from. They never told us what it was that could frighten a god. So there's your big picture context, but what our actual story is, is the story of these uh, sidekicks and children and adolescents and friends and cousins and whatever of Earth's fallen heroes who have taken up arms to protect the Earth after ostensibly the heroes went out into space to protect our world from whatever it was that the gods feared. They didn't know the god part yet. That has been a recent discovery. But now we learned that uh, those left behind um, under the care of the president of the world, nice touch, right, who himself was a previous hero, are not safe and that the president is corrupt and everything is pretty terrible. So yes, we're focused on the story of the adolescents, of the danger club, as it were, uh, as they are trying to save the world now from two sources of evil. Whatever it is that's coming back, who uh, the gods themselves were afraid of, but then also what's happening on Earth with the president and his conspiracy to work with this, this long-ago evil to kind of be all-powerful, all-existing. Like, he seems to have... Is, is that your interpretation, that he seems to have allied himself with the very same force that's coming back to to kill them all? I think so, like, yes. Who who I think is, is Kronos? Right, yeah. which we... Yes. Yeah. I mean, the, obviously, we... Over the centuries, it's taken, the book is taking what we consider like old gods and myths and things like that and applying them to these actual beings that were aliens from, you know, right. somewhere. Right. And, right, it goes back to the Greek gods, the pantheon, and the the titans emerging to destroy the world. Yes. Or the universe. But, but again, I, I guess I want to emphasize that, like, if you've never picked up this book before, that was just a whole bunch of backstory that has been super recent in its reveal like within the past two issues so like i'm not going to give another spoiler warning because whatever but i i think that the that context though it's super important for right right now has has been actually more sensitively or or carefully revealed like that's that's been a development that wasn't it's not like deus ex machina we we don't have suddenly now chronos is like surprise it's been me all along right uh, it's it's much more sophisticated than that so but just like high crimes super depressing because holy shit everybody's gonna die maybe i mean it is a, it's a book about heroes though i think it's less depressing because a hero emerges and the least powerful of, of all the heroes. I guess. You know? It's so existential, though. Kind of. But it's... Tell me it's how it this, isn't. It, it is looking at myth, legend, you know, 
a modern myth of superheroes and can and always this sort of conceit of humanity triumphing and i think i think that's really what i'm seeing a lot of this that it's not it wasn't the heroes that protect earth it was the heroes that put in put earth in danger okay and it's it's a human that will save humanity okay so i I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe it won't. Maybe it will be super depressing, but I don't think that's the way it's going, especially with number six. Like, the way number five ends, and if you haven't read it, I don't really want right, to right. spoil it, but the way number five ends and then how number six, you know, progresses, it's a very, it seems very much that hero's journey. I acknowledge that the tone is on an upswing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, the between... The two, and we were talking about this in between segments, that I went back and reread everything. Because it's, it's been years since the last issue came out. And like, guys, I can't retain like weeks. It's been two years, yeah. So I went back and reread from the beginning up through before I read issue number six, just so that I didn't sound like a dumbass. So maybe doing that all in one big chunk is... Why I'm feeling like the weight of the, the, the like burden that these kids have to save the world is, it's just hard. It's just like a, it's, they are struggling. There have been losses. It mm-hmm. has been very, very painful. And it's, it, it sucks. But I agree that, that, that it is a journey that has more of a hero tone to it than a human tone i know that you just said the opposite but here's what i mean by that like the distinction is that maybe not maybe there is a happy ending somewhere in this like maybe this is much more of a of a superhero like saves the world journey and not uh everybody dies story but but not a not a superman saves the world story a a Tim Drake saves the world story. Okay. You know, which is which is very different. And not even like a Bruce Wayne saves right, the world right. story. You know, it it's the it is the the student forced to become, you know, the the master mm-hmm. and that journey and the the lessons learned from, you know, being at the feet of 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 somebody more powerful mm-hmm. but also finding it within yourself. And the will and intelligence in order to, you know, kind of overcome it, the adversity thrown at you. Mm-hmm. It, it goes back to the same thing with high crimes. It, it's finding the metal within. Yeah, I was going to ask if you felt like that was, as soon as you said student and master, if if you felt like that was something that Zan was struggling with too. Or I, Yeah, I th- absolutely. Or maybe not struggling with, but that will be the source of some of her strength. Because, I mean, yeah, to go back to that book, I mean, she's... She is in the position now of of rescuing, saving, mm-hmm. possibly, or 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 continuing on and past mm-hmm. who she learned from. Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's they share they parallel very similar in that way. What what is it about that relationship, though? That give me a second. I'm, trying to like a mentor mentee relationship yeah i mean we've talked about that before i i feel like the the opportunity in danger club to take what the kids had learned or been exposed to or whatever 
and then completely move on from it is much more clear because the heroes, i.e. mentors themselves, are, are physically missing. There's not a drive to save them because they're right. they're dead and they they know that now. There is less of a there's no discussion of legacy. It's more of of obligation. And I I guess I find that to be maybe that's what's so depressing. Is it like they seem to be sort of resigned to the fact that they have to save the world or die trying and that's just but so mo- heavy. Mo- most of them didn't have to be sidekicks. Well, you know, they they chose they chose to be the sidekick. They chose to be mentored. This this was the eventuality of what their lives would be. Right, but <laughs> isn't isn't that isn't that sort of depressing in and of itself? Sort of, but you're <laughs> you're you're making it sound like there was no there was no choice in the matter. It's not like it's not like they were conscripted into an army. You Are you know, kidding? Kid Valiant was uh, was cloned and like raised to do that. Okay, fine. Maybe that <laughs> argument fa- falls apart. Yeah, I I don't know. I I I he's think still, he's still given choices though. There are choices to be made. There's always the choice to give up, and that is the the core of what is happening, or that may or may not no, be happening I... in high crimes, and what may or may not be happening. In Danger Club, even with Apollo, that yeah, but Apollo is one of the old gods. I know, but like, you you don't think that the interaction that they had in the the like World of the Dead was like that was totally him giving up. He was begging. He was on his knees. I yes, but here here's here's how I equate it. Then the sidekicks think of it like World War Two. It's like when when people enlisted, you know, when men enlisted to fight in World War Two. They didn't necessarily, not all of them had to, you know, until the draft was enacted, but so many volunteered because of the stakes, right? It wasn't, you didn't, you could stay home, but Germany was marching across Europe and it was a matter of time before Japan and, and Germany made its way over to us. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's inevitable for preservation. Okay. You know, so yeah, they don't really have a choice, but it's because this is, uh, you know, this is where you have to live. You're when your homeland is threatened, and you are the ones capable of saving it. You have to step up and do it, or you don't, and you become subjugated, or killed, and, or and, destroyed, and you die just like everybody else. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> the, the choice the choice isn't very great either way. Right. You might as well go fighting, you know, right. standing and fighting, than on your knees and begging. Okay, that's a right. fabulous uh, segue into our last book, if if you'd like. Yeah, let, let's do that. <laughs> In terms of past and finished series, I'm going to go with another manga. This one is called Full Metal Alchemist, and it's by Japan's most prolific female mangaka, Hiromu Arakawa. It's published by Gangan Comics in Japan, but can be found published by Viz Comics in most English-speaking countries. It's set in a sort of steampunk German-influenced country, and it's about two brothers who use alchemy to bring their dead mother back to life. However, this has dark consequences for them, and to repair the damage, they have to find what's known as the Philosopher's Stone. The story overall kind of explores the essence and the value of life. So, like, you know, do we have the authority to bring it back? How far do humans have to go to remove themselves so that they can take lives for their own gain? It also looks at alchemy's first law, which is equivalent exchange. To obtain, something of equal value must be lost. 
at the end of the day, it's still this kind of, you know, um, cyberpunk science fantasy, and it has its fair dose of humor, but it's definitely focused more on how society treats human lives and really builds up an interesting mythology. Our third book this week is Uncanny Avengers number one, written by Rick Remender, with art by Daniel Acuna and letters by Clayton Coles. Uncanny Avengers is published by Marvel Comics. Hey, remember when this book came out the first time? I was so young back then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, you know, everything old is new again. Yeah. Especially when it comes to Marvel or DC Comics. And anything related to the Avengers. Yeah, I mean, this we've talked about Uncanny Avengers and how these these stories, I think this is fine to call this a number one because this is a reset of After Axis mm-hmm. and it totally makes sense. Yeah. It's a new storyline. I'm not line. making fun. All right. A little bit I'm making fun. I mean, what would you call it? Uncanny, you know, what would you call it Uncanny Avengers 42 or whatever it would be? No, it makes sense to have a big event and then restart. I think that we gripe about it. Mostly, I guess, collectors gripe about it because there's too many number ones. But as a reader, it makes a lot of sense. If they did, like, chapter headings, it would be even better. Yes, I agree. And we could look at it that way, too, if you want. But let's just talk about the story. Okay, Okay. don't yell at me. (laughs) I'm looking at the audio levels right in front of me. (laughs) They, they were steady in the same. <laughs> New team, same mission, essentially, of bringing both disparate groups together. Like, the fact that it's actually called the Unity Team makes me roll my eyes a little bit. But originally, Uncanny Avengers came out of AVX. And now, after the, what did we call it, the inversion of everybody? Yeah, access. Yeah. I'm trying to block it out. We you can't. we just have a couple of, of individuals still affected. One of whom is Sabretooth, and he's palling around with the Uncanny Avengers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like the rest of the guys, just hanging out, being Avengers. Oh, look, here we are dealing with Scarlet Witch being batshit crazy again. Always. I mean, that conceit maybe is a little overplayed at this point. Okay, so reading this reminded me of Avengers Disassembled. Or maybe not that directly, but shades of the last time that we dealt with a very unstable Scarlet Witch. And in both cases, it's been this kind of traumatic revelation that her life isn't what she thought it was. Well, did you read Axis? I did. You didn't read Axis? I did. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it's that's fine. I think that's a good kind of interesting storyline of, it's another spell gone wrong to change continuity yeah but it refreshes characters and relationships and whatever else it's fine and it's the catalyst for the search that they're undertaking and and actually Mm -hmm. the fact that quicksilver is more involved in that like processing of that information now i think makes it much more interesting so it's it's actually not yet another Scarlet Witch's batshit crazy story. It's like both of them. Or, you know, both of them are responding to this new information about themselves. Sure. It's so isolated from everything else going on that it is difficult for me to buy into it. I have to treat it like a completely independent exploration of these characters. Okay. I'm curious if you feel the same way. It doesn't... I I, want to specify... I've done that from the beginning with... Uncanny Avengers. But I wasn't. For a really long time, I felt like it had very strong connections to other books. And I was arguing the case that it had really strong connections. And then, you know, 
it doesn't anymore. And that's cool. It, it can be its own little island. It just took me a long time to uh, see that for myself. Okay. <laughs> that's fine. That was for such me, a judgy I, I always, okay. Um, for me, Remender stories, I have felt I read them fairly isolated from the rest of the Marvel Universe since X-Force, which existed awesomely basically by itself. You You're know, right. For its whole run. You're right. And I just did the same when I picked up Uncanny Avengers, and same with this. Hmm. And if you read them, yeah, you just kind of, they get, they get kind of hiccuped with other things, you know, as most Marvel books do, but not, not really much. They're kind of, he's pretty much allowed to play in his own little universe in that way. I think that with all of the conversation about the end of the Ultimate Universe, and heading into Secret Wars, and like, whatever is in store... With the main Avengers titles and what Hickman's had planned for the past couple of years. I think it's interesting, though, that that, that essentially kind of happens, like you said, with, with Remender's books. And w- with other. Like, Secret Avengers has that happening. Winter Soldier has is a response to events in Axis, but, like, doesn't relate to anything else. Why am I okay with that? Aaron... What? Suddenly, I'm actually on board with this multiple universes and multiple stories and fuck continuity. Um, why are you like that? Because you love to buy into hype and you read um, all the little press releases and you get excited for, you know, for events and you spend all your money on books you don't care about. Right, but actually none of that is true. So is it maybe just that right now there's some good stories? Also, as children, we were into Secret Wars. And so Secret Wars is a trigger for us. So really everything old is new again. That's right. And and we're and okay with that. Will, yep. And it'll reboot. And in 10 years, we'll do the same thing all over again. I feel cathartic. I feel like I've, I've come around from being like a crotchety Marvel reader. Mm-hmm. Like, stop fucking everything up. Why do I have to read all these books to make sense of it? Blah. And I'm just much more accepting... And I'm just reading the stories that are good, and that makes me happy. That's fine. It's okay to enjoy comics. Is it? Is it? Because I, I miss that. I miss enjoying comics. Well, that's because you're, quote-unquote, working so much. Yes. Why did you put quotes around that? Well, you know. I work really hard. I don't even know if that's true. I don't even know if you actually have a job. <laughs> None of this has been confirmed by anyone. What? Are you kidding? I don't kidding? have any third-party verification. <laughs> Uh, Chase, Chase was here and, and saw, saw my work. He was, he was a prisoner in your home. He was not. He had a guest room. So you say. He could come and go as he pleased. Look, I don't know how I would call Chase, a a guy whose name is Chase Magnet. That doesn't even sound real. (laughs) He accepted an Eisner. I don't know if you know that. Good, good for him. I've accepted an Eisner too in my, in my bathroom. Doesn't mean anything. (laughs) You're such a dick. I missed you. Let's mm, never sure. not do this show because this is too entertaining. Look, I'm here every week at this time <laughs> waiting for you, and you just don't show up. Everything can die except for comics therapy. All right, that's fine. <laughs> Let's do it again next week, then. Do you have anything else that you want to say about Uncanny Avengers? I, I said before that I put it at the end because I feel like it fits the theme, and I wanted to share that I'm like, on board with this but in a like newly mature and i love comics kind of way but i don't want to um 
I, I don't want to bulldoze any actual opinions that you wanted to bestow upon me. Nope, I'm going to take that as a win and just walk away from it. Aw, everybody wins. Yeah. yeah, for once. Okay, everybody dies, everybody wins. You want to end the show? Um, I'll let you end the show. Okay. I'm going to let you do that. Okay. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Comics Therapy. Maybe there will be a new one for you next week. Let's let's see if uh, I can hold true to my Comics Therapy New Year's resolution. Don't forget to subscribe to your comics, uh, either at your local comic book shop or digitally. Show notes and anything else you need from us are on the website, comicstherapy.com. And yes, we will see you right here next week. Everything right is wrong again, just like in the long, long trailer. All the dishes got broken, the car kept driving, and nobody would stop to ever. Wake me when the tower touched my face, tell me every word has been erased. Don't you want to know the reason why the cover is not up in? And don't you get the feeling that everything that's right is wrong again? You're a weasel love, we come with you. Weasel lover come, but not before the damage done, not healing, doesn't stop the feeling. Everything right is wrong again, just like in the long, long trailer. All the dishes got broken in the car. I don't have anything to plug, but I thought I'd talk about a series I really love, but I don't really see discussed much along with all its other image brethren and, you know, podcasts and, you know, websites and stuff. And that's Zero. It's written by Alesh Cott. It's drawn by a different artist each issue, and it's colored by Jordi Belair. And um, it's kind of hard to describe Zero. It's oddly simple, but it's so very complex. I mean, each issue is a kind of one-shot in the life of a secret agent, which is Edward Zero, and it sort of weaves this tapestry and intermixes black ops and sci-fi. And it's really interesting storytelling because they can jump around chronologically in terms of when we're seeing Edward Zero. And each issue can either be, you know, a mission involving massive bloodshed and heartbreak, or just a story about him living in a village. And, you know, even though Image's lineup is purposely, you know, very diverse, I think Zero definitely kind of sits in its own bubble. And I love that Aleshkot just continues to do his thing and make this beautifully, wonderfully unique comic.